This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Recording now. Get on with it. Hello and welcome to episode 339 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to royally F them up. In our very, very humble opinion, this, ladies and gentlemen, is our new strand on the Filmmakers Podcast called... The Business of Film Explained, where we go deep into facts, stats, percentages and figures of filmmaking. On this week's episode, on this month really, because we do The Business of Film uh, once a month, we try to, um, we talk about how AI is going to affect you filmmakers. We dive deep into the writer's strike, we talk about it, why they're striking, what is happening right now in the world of filmmaking in Hollywood, but how it's affecting everyone in the UK and Europe and beyond. We discuss what the writers are asking for and what the studios are offering in return and why that's not enough for the writers. And we talk about, is there too many shows on TV at the moment? Is there too much choice for us? We chat about chat GPT. We actually get chat GPT to ask us some questions. Are those questions any good? Is chat GPT any good for filmmakers and screenwriters out there? And we also have some questions from our lovely audience, yourselves. Let's introduce our fellow hosts who are Phil Hawkins. Hello, Phil. Hello. The resident idiot is back of these podcasts. (laughs) For those of you who are new to this one, this is our third uh, Business of Film Explained. I will talk about uh, episodes one and two in a moment and what we talked about in those. But for now, I want to introduce Phil. Um, He's a writer and producer, uh, but mainly he's a director. He has made the films Butterfly Tattoo, being sold at the last showing for Warriors and his amazing fan film Star Wars Origins. And very recently, he released his Universal and Sky Movies movie, Prancer, A Christmas Tale. Phil Hawkins. Hey, buddy. Hi. Yeah, yeah, good. Good to be back. Also joining us for the first time on The Business of Film Explained. He wasn't available for the first episode, but he is here for the third one. It is the writer and director and producer, Dom Lemoyne. Hello, buddy. Hello. Thanks for my semi... Pleasant intro. <laughs> I haven't finished it yet. Um, he is. Oh, okay, the, okay, keep going, uh, going. He has di- <laughs> uh, he has directed three films, including Winter Ridge, which stars Ted Lasso's Hannah Waddingham. He has also produced soundtrack to Sixteen, When the Screaming Starts, I Love My Mum, which we all do, and the upcoming The Unreason. Dom Lemoire. Hello, hello, mate. You're right. I'm pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Good. 
Good, I like the pauses. Um, and I am Giles Alderson. Uh, I'm a director and producer, writer. I've directed The Wolves of War, Arthur and Merlin, The Dare, uh, Last Year's Stranger in Our Bed, and I produce A Serial Killer's Guide to Life, Followers, Repeat, and very recently, Three Day Millionaire, which is on Netflix right now. But our main attraction, uh, the man you're all here to really uh, listen to, um, I've already introduced him, it's Dom. No, it is the fantastic Stephen Follows. <laughs> Stephen, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well, thank you. I like the idea that if you say statistics three times, I appear. Uh, I don't quite know what, a, I don't know what else I was doing. I just, yeah, exactly. But, Magical spell. But less interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Stephen is a massively established data researcher in the film industry. His work has been featured in places like the New York Times, the Times in the UK, and many, many more. Uh, he runs the fabulous website, stephenfollows.com, where you can find pages and pages of filmmaking facts and figures, and I'd really, really highly recommend that you go and have a look. He's also uh, been a producer. Uh, he was longlisted for a BAFTA, no less. Produced over 100 short films, two features, Baseline and The Grind. And he's the host of the podcast, Show Me The Money. Stephen Follows, welcome back for the third installment of The Business of Film Explained. Yeah, wow. that's the kind of enthusiasm we are not going to keep up for the whole episode. <laughs> but but I, I do like starting high. I think that's the first 10 pages and all that. So let's go with that. Yes. So like I say, this is the third part of our new strand uh, called The Business of Film Explained. If you haven't listened to them, do go back and listen. Just type in Business of Film Explained into thefilmmakerspodcast.com or into your podcast of choice. It should come up on the first episode. Um, we talked about, is there a typical route to becoming a film director? Is there a gender equality um, within directors? And getting your film onto Netflix and the benefit for filmmakers. Um, on the second uh, Business of Film Explained, we talked about, is it a failure or not if you don't make a second film? Is it harder to get a second screenwriter credit within five years, knowing your worth in the film industry and what is financial success. I will probably put a link to those two episodes in the show notes anyway. So do listen after you've listened to this. We have a lot of fun on them and we do, and we do more quizzes uh, than on this episode. Let's put it that way. But this one, we really want to get out there because we think it's important with what's happening in the industry right now and how it can and will and is affecting you as filmmakers right now. Okay, let's dive in. With the perfect place to start is the writer's strike. It is happening right now. It is a very important strike. It is happening for, I feel, the right reasons. But I think we should discuss it. I think it's very important. How do we feel about it? Phil, let's start with you. I was thinking, can we role play? So each of us can play like a writer, a studio, a traditional broadcaster mm. and a producer. And then we could just, you know, we could just improvise a scene uh, can, I, can I be the studio? Because I could do with the money. Can, <laughs> yeah. can I be the writer? We could do a reconstru I'm an audio reconstruction about what, uh, what's happening on the negotiating table. Mm. And you just insert a tumbleweed. <laughs> yes. Here. Well, there's definitely um, no negotiating happening yeah. right now. That's for sure. So, no, I mean, uh, the thing is, for me, uh, and this, obviously, you know, 100% agree what the writers are doing. And I wonder whether it was worth just talking about the basics of why it's happening and, and mm -hmm. because everyone knows it's happening, but actually, you know, um, knowing why and some of the reasons behind is a better understanding instead of the kind of, you know, through the grapevine thing. Should we do that? Is that a yes, good, that makes good, total good sense. Thing to yeah. Do? Why is this happening? 
But okay, okay. Here goes. This is me giving the first one to answer. Um, <laughs> You're in. Basically, yes, it's about money, right? Of course, yep. it's about mm-hmm. money. Um, but uh, essentially, there hasn't been a strike since 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was uh, pre-streamer day. So you can kind of think about like, wow, I mean, the Netflix, the Amazon, the Apple, the Disney, they weren't even at the table. They were, they were kind of foregone conclusion <laughs> during, <laughs> you know, they didn't exist during that strike. So the world has changed. Um, and so have, has profits and money. So these, some of these streamers, you know, um, they've announced like, you know, 39% up, you know, we're talking billions and billions of dollars, you know, Apple, uh, check the notes to get it right. Uh, Apple, like, announced quarterly earnings of $20.9 billion. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just one of these, you know, mega, mega corporations that now we, you know, um, are a big provider of entertainment. And and the writers, you know, asking for, you know, better pay. And we can go into the in and outs of these things, better pay, the kind of reduction of these what are called mini mm-hmm. rooms, Again, we can get into this uh, later on, um, you know, better residuals, things like that. But basically, it's because they feel that their pay hasn't, you know, I, th- I think I read it was um, adjusted to, for inflation. Their pay has declined 23% over the past. Uh, oh, God, I feel like Stephen follows all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> 23%. Stephen looks angry. I get to be Phil. That's all right. Yeah. I don't mind. That's cool. <laughs> over the past 10 years. Um, which obviously, you know, uh, they're going down, mm-hmm. profits mm-hmm. going up, um, and even production, you know, the cost of production is going up and writers feel unfairly, you know, caught in the middle. Um, and basically, they want a look at the um, the kind of minimums uh, that, are, that are agreed uh, in this new streaming um, world. Um, so without getting into more and more detail... Does anyone else want to throw in? Did I? Is that? Is that the? Is that the? Well, in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean that that is it's interesting as the industry has moved more from traditional television to streaming, uh the benefits that they've had from TV just haven't translated. So the the way that writers rooms would work in say the days of Mad Men or whatever isn't so much how they're working and streaming there's there's just not the residual base for it. There's just not the plan for if it does well, what's the high end for writers. And so all these things have just chipped away and made writing harder and harder, less certain uh, uh yeah fewer fewer employments at the same time that like you said the streamers are making so much money that there's a certain amount of like intricate detail and then there's a certain amount of like this is obscene because the, clearly there is money and clearly you're not giving it to us and all these little things are adding up and fundamentally the writers do what they always have to do which is argue and fight for something after it's already mm. become a problem like they had to do with vhs like they had to do with dvd in the last strike and so they're doing it here and um yeah they're doing a really good job and i it's really interesting always to see these strikes because the studios are the world's mm-hmm. best negotiators and the and the writers are the world's best storytellers and so uh, these strikes come down to who can tell the better story or who to win the negotiations so it's like a I don't know. It's two, it's not two boxers from the mm. same weight class. It's like two martial artists from different martial arts fighting at the top of their game. Uh, the difference being if the studios win, I don't think anyone will really benefit beyond about 10, 12 people. Uh, if the writers win, then huge numbers of people who are not earning very much money win. So it's not hard to pick a favorite in this one i think one of the one of the interesting things that, that was sort of brought up is, is this idea that writers on these spec shows are given no money and expected to sort of write the pilot 
and then the show doesn't happen, which almost is like when you're like a student, you know, filmmaker, and it's like you've got to sort of make something and then see if anyone likes it, and then they might give you a chance with something. And it, it's, you know, or you get hired for a job and they're like, the, the, you know, the corporate client won't pay you <laughs> until you've done it. And then they say, okay, we, we might buy it afterwards. But you're obviously, you know, trained, paying bills, all of these things. And you have the expertise. So, I mean, that that's something very relatable um, that is a problem, I think. Yeah, it is relatable. But basically, they're striking about three things, really, if you boil it down. It is uh, money, it is the writer's rooms, and it is AI. It's a whole new situation, like Stephen has said, that has you know, has been around for a while, but suddenly now it's like, if they don't do something now, a lot of writers are going to be, they won't be able to afford to live, let alone be a writer full time and have to take other jobs. So they can't take the deal on the table. That is, even though the deal has improved, basically they've come back and said, we will pay you more money. We will do this. But again, it's still not enough. There's not enough there. And that's not sustainable in this business. Maybe you can give us some stats and figures around that, Stephen. Yeah, I mean, so the WGA estimate that they're, what they're suggesting, their terms, would benefit writers by about $429 million wow. a year wow. collectively. Uh, and what the studios are counter-offering is only about $86 million a year. So they're quite significantly off. It's five times different. And I think that the problem is that this is a, a fight as old as time. You know, writers have had to fight incredibly hard for the last 100 years to get almost anything, to get credited, to get paid, to get residuals, get all these things. And so the studios have always been operating in the well we're going to demand a huge amount because we know we're going to have to give in so there's a certain amount of posturing that we don't know like some of the things the studios have countered with is a kind of ridiculous when you look at the numbers but they they know this fight's coming so you don't know how much they really believe that and they think that's reasonable or how much they're just gearing up so it's important that the writers hold the line and and I, maybe if i don't know how percent and what the percentage of our audience are british or not but we have a, a mm-hmm. the writers guild of great britain but it's much more of an optional thing than the wga in america wga west and east are pretty much effectively de facto you have to be a member of the union and the union is incredibly tough on their rules so like no one will be breaking the the strike rules uh, people are supposed to turn up on pickets you have to have a medical reason not to uh, and these you know it's really well organized the committees are really thoughtful and they have been very clear in their communications and stuff like that so it's it they pretty strong and forthright and the studios have done what they always do which is to be very very quiet publicly and to just see how long they can cause pain to the writers by you know because these writers are losing money by doing this and mm. it's risky and the last one lasted about 100 days which is it, it was long yeah time. if you're not paid well and then you lose mm-hmm. 100 days and then you have all this secondary pressure where um a lot of shows that went on hiatus during the last writer strike they're loads of crew are not being paid and whilst those crew almost very few of them are actually complaining to the writers they're still losing money as well so it ends up being very painful and I, it's difficult to know what will happen because the studios last time took a very um they, they got a lot of benefits fringe benefits from the strike one of them was that they were able to cancel a load of overall deals and deals they had with actors and and whatnot on the studio lot and be like oh there's a strike on and so they they saved money there uh they they invested far more into reality tv uh, and there is an argument. I mean, this is slightly spurious, perhaps, but there is an argument that the last writer strike caused Donald Trump. 
just <laughs> caused him. Well, yeah, caught, well no, he existed before. <laughs> yeah. we've, we've we've all seen Home Alone too. So it gave Donald mm. Trump a platform, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. It gave him The Apprentice because reality TV is covered by a different writers' deal and, and isn't part of the you know the literary writers we're talking about, um, the fictional writers. Um, they really doubled down on reality TV, which was a lot cheaper anyway, and that sort of created The Apprentice. Even though the viewing figures are actually falling, I think, but because there was there wasn't many other shows, it did very well, which created a star. And I don't know that that caused an effect we can argue with for a while, but definitely it changed the landscape of what the studios invested in and what they had permission to do. So there's a certain amount of maybe this is speculation, but maybe there's they, it's an opportunity. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, mm. well, with to that, you, you mentioned there about our podcast. It's we've pretty much nearly 50 50 you know with uk audience and american audience so this is why this will appeal and why we wanted to do this as well but i i think what is interesting is how it will affect the uk how what is happening now with this writer strike will affect the uk in 2007 it was an opportunity for british writers not on purpose not people it, it just became that way because they needed content british writers and producers were around going well we can go make you some content in the uk whereas now what they've done and Stephen, please correct me if i'm wrong but from what i can see is they're saying yeah but is even in can coming up you know next week or now you're not really allowed to pitch to these people. Yeah. You're not allowed to go to universals and you, and say, hey, we've got a project. And they go, oh, great. We want to look at it. That's called c- crossing the line and you can be called a scab. Yeah. Well, that, I, yeah, I think it's, it's right? difficult because the, 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 the WGA, sorry, the Writers Guild of Great Britain mm. won't be telling people, and, and not everyone's a member, but they are strongly no. saying if you're, yeah. if you're doing British work with British people in British companies, then that's fine. But yes, you don't need to go to Cannes to do that. And it's such no. a global industry that it's difficult to, I mean, Netflix have a UK arm. And if you're doing a deal with Netflix UK, maybe that's okay. Maybe it's not. But if you're talking on any scale, you are by de, de facto talking with the, to some degree with the US arm, which is not allowed. So I think it's if you're making a Sky television show and or a BBC show, then you're fine. But if you're doing a co-production that has a US partner in it that you know is there, then that's not okay, and we're, we're everyone's expected to, uh, uh, you know, honour the strike. But but the the issue is actually finding the the separation between where there is a US arm. I mean, I've got a lot of friends in the US, and they're saying, well, you know, sometimes it's second degree, like it's a partner company that works affiliated sometimes with a studio, and they're being sort of put into the line where if they're working with anyone who's a writer outside of the the strike, then they will be blacklisted by de facto. So, I mean, you're sort of coming across a very Mm. blurry international line that's kind of sweeping across because the studios have such complex and far-spanning business connections across so many sub-companies across the world. The Rise Gotta Go Brenner actually kind of tried to help that grey area by saying, if your contract is written under UK law as a writer, then you're fine. You carry on as normal. If it's under US law, strike rules kind of apply. That's how they've tried to, or how are they are defining it. And I think this thing is, there's always a, um, everyone's trying to get ahead, right? Everyone's trying to be ambitious. Everyone's trying to, you know, look mm-hmm. for the opportunities. And I would say, just be very, very, very careful if you are trying to see this as some sort of opportunity to get ahead. Because all you're doing is, is you, you know, you may or may not get ahead, um, but you'll do a heck of a lot of more damage later down 
the line because the WGA will ban you from joining the union. And, you know, in as, as Stephen says, they're very, very strong in, in the US and all the big companies are signatories of the WGA and need to hire WGA writers. So if you want to have any longevity as a writer on big shows, you need to be a part of member of the WGA to get hired. And if you are taking mm. a gig now just because uh, or thinking that's an opportunity, just just don't, mm-hmm. you know. The, yep. People are fighting for, you know, it's not just about, it's the thing. People think, oh, writers are on big shows. They must get paid loads of money. You mm-hmm. know, oh, everyone's getting loads yep. of money in Hollywood. Everyone's getting loads of money. It's like, it's really not, right? You know, people are struggling yeah. to make ends meet. And this this whole idea that, you know, writing is becoming more of like a kind of a gig economy, you know, where it's like, come in for a couple of days, write some gags. Okay, bye. You know, whereas beforehand, you know, traditional shows, they'd, they'd write, what, 25 episodes, I don't know, a season. And that's like a year's work for a writer in a writer's yes. room. And now you're getting, what, eight yeah. episodes on a Netflix, you know, with with mm-hmm. le- you know, with smaller writers and all this stuff. So there's less opportunity, you know, for writers coming in, you know, so probably more mm-hmm. experienced writers will take that work, you know. Um, there's less opportunity for people to grow. And then what they're obviously worried about as well, there's less money going back into the pot of pension, healthcare, all these things that mm-hmm. actually the WGA is amazing at having that writers can afford to, you know, obviously we have the NHS, but in the States, you know, that is really, really, really important. Yeah. Well, these are things that everyone will benefit from mm-hmm. as well. Like if you are going yes. into writing and you're thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get ahead in this short term, as well as all the things Phil said, the thing is that if you do succeed in getting into writing, it's very, very unlikely that you're not going to interact in the future with the studios or with the WGA or something in America. And these are all every single benefit. I mean, I say every single benefit writers have ever had has happened because they've fought for it. Like no one's giving it to them. And as I said, over the last hundred years, this has become entrenched. And so this is the way this is the way that writers get anything. And so if we don't support this, even if I mean, you're not even paying dues for it. So to be honest, mm-hmm. like everyone should get out of their way. We're not we're not paying for this. We're still going to benefit from this uh, because it r- lifts everybody. And so the, 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 this is the, the way that writers get respect, they get treatment, they get the, anything that they've got right now. And so mm-hmm. anything you can do to just not, give, not, you know, not get in the way seems basic to me. And I totally agree. I think basically we want this strike to be over, right? We want this, we want the business to carry on and get moving and people to be paid. And that is only fair. So we have to do as filmmakers, whatever's possible to help that finish, which is by supporting the writers right now. It really is. Uh, and as much as that might upset a few people, as much as that might be really difficult for people going, oh, there's an opportunity for me. Actually, no, because you're ruining it for everyone else and for the future. Because if you're a writer, you might jump in now, but later on, you're going to be screwed. You're not going to be able to afford, you know, to carry on being a writer. You just won't be able to do it because the business is hitting it itself at the moment and these writers are fighting for every job and therefore undercutting and undercutting and undercutting and suddenly you're fighting for the bottom dollar and that is not good for the business because your best writers just drop off they go i'm not doing it anymore and then the quality of work isn't good enough that's what i feel so basically this strike is about survival and we've got support uh however we can even talking about it like this do we have any other facts and figures that we could do a quiz on this at this point, Stephen, that we could all guess <laughs> oh, the answer. 
I got so far. Phil, in. why why are you why are you yes, taking that as a personal Phil, why attack, would you not Phil? Want to do I this. wonder why. You, your name wasn't brought up. Regular <laughs> listeners to this segment of the podcast uh, will know that um, these guys always throw me under the bus. We, I'm happy to be thrown under the bus. I don't think we throw you under the bus. I just don't think you know the answers. <laughs> You know, and then you come along with little old me with my little brain. But you've got Dom this and... time. Yeah, I have a clue what's going on. Oh, yes. <laughs> you've, cool. If you've listened to the Christmas quiz, <laughs> Phil normally wins. Yeah, and Dom annoyingly. I, 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 doesn't. So. I, I get, con- all right, I get I, competitive. We, we can do one, though. No, go on. All right, here we go. All right, here we go. All right. This is going to be uh, this is going to be a fun one. Um, Great. I, I thought I'd say it up front because it won't be obvious during. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what we're going to do here, we're going to compare what the WGA has asked for with what the studios have offered in the latest round. Of, of deals okay uh, all, right, all right so um we'll do we'll start with an easy one first so on um uh foreign streaming residuals uh with streaming channels that have fewer than a million subscribers the wga have suggested a, a residual base of six thousand six hundred and seventy three dollars what have the studios counted with phil um, we're going to Phil first. Well, thinking about the percentages of what you said earlier, I'm trying to go back mm, and well, he's been clever now. My oh, very good. small brain. I would say they, <laughs> they've come back with twenty uh, percent of that. What would that be? Which is to the nearest hundred, fifteen hundred quid dollars. All right, uh, dollars, yeah, dollars, dollars, dollars. dollars. Okay, so you're saying it's even like a quarter okay. of what they're offering. Yeah, I was less. sort of going twenty, twenty-five percent. But yeah, go on. Okay. Oh, fine. All right. Yeah, I can't work. <laughs> Quick math. Dom, <laughs> Dom, what do you what do you reckon? I'm going to go with nineteen hundred dollars. Okay, higher. That was yeah. higher. Nineteen hundred dollars. Right. I'm going with two thousand five hundred. I think it's a little higher. That I maybe even half three. I'll go with three because I think it's about half. One thousand dollars. Oh, did I win something? Still gets a point. <laughs> Congratulations! No, for the record, Phil Phil was wrong. Oh, he was just less know, wrong but... than you. Two. Yes, correct. Being less wrong yeah, is still no, winning. Yeah. Is it the correct? <laughs> okay, if that's not a lesson in the film industry, I don't know what is. Phil was less wrong, yeah. so he's a winner. One hundred percent. That's the film base for you. So hang on, hang on. So we're saying it's a sixth. They've come back and offered a sixth. No, less than a sixth. of what the rights give of America. Yeah, less less than a sixth. But to be fair, wow. like to the studios for a second, is that okay. the studios have got a slightly different way of counting it in the sense that um, the WGA was saying less than twenty million, and I was asking about less than one million. Hollywood, but, um, but we can oh, we, okay, we, we can compare. We'll do one more. We compare like with like. So let's go the other end of the spectrum for for streaming. So okay, we're now talking about platforms that have more than forty five million subscribers. More than forty five million. That is pretty much the one, the big yeah. ones that you know, right? Apple yeah. and, and whatever. And so the WGA have said that f- they want for ones that have between 45 and 75 million to get $13,000. And for more than 75 million subscribers, they want $20,000. Be a single episode, a single payment to the writer. If you've got a big show on Netflix, the foreign payment of, uh, will be $20,000. What have the studios suggested? Instead of, t- instead of 13 or 20,000, let's say- well, Which one are we it, going? Are we doing both? Well, the studios have combined the two. That's why there's a slight vagary there. Oh, I but, see. Um, so the studios have offered a certain figure, which you're we, we, we guessing, for a one-hour episode for any platform that's bigger than 45 million subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, this is for one hour for one episode, uh, a one-hour episode for the first year of use. Right. Uh, so the writers have said twenty thousand. What have the studios said? We could do the sort of same sort of maths, right, and try and work it out try. from there. So it's probably. Me first. So I'm going to go for around 6,000. Dom, you're next. 4,800. <laughs> I respect the specificity. Yes, I, I do too. You should put a 20 on the end. Phil? Um, 
I'm going to go lower because... You want to win. Because you want the points. <laughs> well, no, no, just because I was trying to think of the logic of it because that is the yeah, majority yeah. of streamers and yeah. the, attack, the amount of shows and things. So I'm going to mm. like 3,423. <laughs> what was that, Phil? 3,423. Oh, you remember. Damn. I was hoping that you get wrong your own answer wrong. <laughs> to lose a point. Mine yeah, exactly. Uh, it is 8,000. Oh. So I think Dom... Wait, I, I think got Dom that. was closer. Yes. Were you closer, Dom? <laughs> what did you say? Uh, Four thousand eight hundred. I said six thousand. Oh, you're right. Oh, you're well, absolutely right. Okay, fine. Well, well, sorry, you got a point, but it got taken away. Um, <laughs> Standard. So, but what's interesting about this is that these sound like large numbers because you think about like, oh, they're offering eight thousand dollars on top of being paid originally. This is only for the first year, mm-hmm. and this is only for the foreign payment, so they still get money for other places. But the thing sure. is, this is all the writers going to get, and this is the top end of writers, and it might take an incredibly long time to to obviously to get there, but also to, mm. to actually write the episode. And we also have to remember these streamers make billions. And so these are pennies. So why? Yeah, exactly, uh, Stephen, because they get, make billions. Why are they offering so low? Why? The writers are clearly coming back and the WGA are being fair with these prices. They're not asking for the moon. They're not asking for millions. They're asking for something that's just nowhere near how much something's getting made for and percentage wise. So why do you think they are bulking? Well, it's, it's ne- well, there's two things. I mean, the number one, they have a fiduciary duty to not waste money. I mean, other than their own salaries. Sure, but, but without um, the so, writers, there wouldn't be these True, projects. but they, they obviously think this is a tactic that is going to work for them overall because this won't be an accident. They will have thought very carefully about this. They'll strategize. They'll have, you know, experts in their strategy, which we're not party to. And we, we don't know if this is the main game they're playing. It might be a side game in the sense, like last time, where they, uh, I can't, I don't have the figures to hand, but my memory is that they, across the studios, saved hunt maybe over 100 million on overall deal. Certainly it was a very large scale of thing. And that wasn't part of what the WGA were asking about. In fact, anything, they wouldn't want those things cancelled. But the studios knew, aha, we can use this if it gets to enough of a crisis. So it might well be that this isn't the main game. This is just a you know a side game that they're playing. Or it could just be that it's a negotiation tactic and they're just waiting to meet in the middle. It's It's tricky. Could it also be that they're concerned that this strike might lead to other factions striking and other guilds and then it being like a snowball effect where, you know, and then, you know, maybe they are thinking several steps ahead at, at the overall, you know, what it would be if the producers guild strikes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or the directors guild. Yeah, I mean, certainly, they're, they're, whatever they agree here, if they agree any um, concession on on a, especially on a new topic like streaming or whatever, then the others will definitely be asking for the same, and, and that will cost them. I mean, we are still. I mean, it is a lot of money when you add it up. As I said, the WGA when you add up, they added up all their proposals would cost the studios an additional four hundred and twenty nine million dollars a year. That's that's now being real amounts of money for these streamers, but it's still spread across all the streamers, all the shows. Uh, so it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still n- it's nothing it's quite a, a across change the, across the majors like <laughs> there's probably what, eight main players like you'd say and then mm-hmm. you know and then like and they're reporting billions tens and tens of billions of pounds of 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 uh, profit well where it can be an issue is on the independent side right mm. because that's a lot of the ballpark we play in is as indefe- independent producers we know that our budgets are so tight that if we're paying too much in the front end um, or the top sheet, as we call them in the budget, it becomes too difficult to make the films. It it can do. But I, I don't know. There's something about this that you're going, well, let's make this fair. Why not? Right, but, Phil? Yeah, I mean, I think I think on the independent side, like, you know, I think you kind of look at the minimums and, and, and 
thing as as a guide because you know you're not a signatory so actually you're not putting money into the pension pot and you know all, all the stuff you're not um, that's true in the uk so yeah so it's so it's a very good guide to know like who hasn't you know gone on the wj website and gone oh if the budget's from this to this maybe my fee should be this and then you get 0.5 percent of that making a feature film in the uk <laughs> another stat for you there Stephen. Uh, it's a good one <laughs> but also in america they do get seem to get paid a lot more than the UK anyway. You know, if you ask any first AD, DOP, that world in the TV world in the US, well, that fees are really high, you know, it, and, you know, compared to the UK. When you get, when you ask those questions, you're like, oh God, you get that much a day. You do, you but, know? That, yeah. but the reunion has fought for that and, 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 right? you know, and is trying to maintain a standard, a quality of life for, the you know hundreds and hundreds of writers, which the UK government don't care about. <laughs> well, no, God, let's not get started on that. Behold the podcast. But I mean, ninety eight percent of the union voted for this. I mean, that's that's like when have we had that's an election that's had <laughs> you know ninety eight percent people are unhappy. You know, like I I'm sure I listened to a podcast something where some were saying they were collecting their Emmy um, for a really popular show. And they bought their tux like on credit because they couldn't mm-hmm. afford it. And it's just like, wait, hang on. And like, it's this mm-hmm. whole idea of like, you know, maybe I'm going off on a tangent, but this idea of the starving artist, you know, what you were saying earlier, I think, Dom, about we write things on spec. We do what we can to kind of make things happen. And, you know, look at my project, look at my pitch deck, look at my everything. We do all that for free. You know, we do all that because we love what yes. we do. And, you know, and and I can't help but like think the studios, you know, and the bigger companies might be using that as a way of getting like, well, they're going to do it, aren't they? You know, they're going to do it because they care. (laughs) You're right. We do. And we do care. But on that, do they take the risk? Like, you know, being devil's advocate for the other side of it, it's their money. They've earned that money they've worked hard in a lot of cases to become a global entity to become something netflix certainly have you know universal being to stay around for that amount of time it, no but it's not their money it's, it's a, if we're if we're going to play that game it's the subscribers money and, sure. and i was a subscriber and i want good shows on streaming services yeah. sure but this isn't just streaming, right? I mean, we're talking, this is also studios, which isn't, it's their money, that it's in-house money. And if they spend 200 million on a Heaven's Gate again, they can go bankrupt. I, I'm not saying that they necessarily deserve the massive amounts that they get. I mean, look, if you can negotiate what you get, then that's up to you. But I'm just being devil's advocate. No, no, mate, you know, no, I, mate, I think it, it should be fair, totally but from sense. their side, yeah, right? They're going, well, hang on, you're not taking the risk. Mm. I'm taking the But risk. the problem is, is like, if you're paying writers less, because inflation, mm. so if you're paying writers less, and also, and we can get into the whole mini room debate, and also hiring less writers for a short amount of time, you know, then, you know, you, you're not, you're not feeding back into the pool of talent. You know, so I agree. when you go sure. to make shows yes. like this, I'm obviously getting to AI, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, it's difficult because there's less shows, there's more content, right? But those are written by less people over a shorter amount of time for less mm-hmm. money. I'm, I'm being broad, general speaking. You are, but and, it, and, you're, you're right. And some of these people yeah. aren't can't afford to, you know, 
to, to get a tux yeah. to, to the to, Emmy. To, to, to the uh, Emmy. Are, yeah. there too, are there too many shows? Dom, look, I think, there is yeah, massively, so many massively. channels. I mean, like on streamers, the amount of times I, and I'm not going to specify, but there are so many shows that come out and I start watching and I just think the, the writing on this is mediocre. Like it, It's really medio- mediocre. It, it doesn't have that like thought and attention. The characters are like tropes. They're generic, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there's so much that you don't know what to watch. Like I would rather have less but good quality like i would 100 times rather that but is that is that because exactly what we're talking about these writers rooms now are smaller there is less money given to these writers and therefore they're going well that'll we 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 can't physically write anymore we can't physically get more info in this show because uh, or a talent or whatever because we've only got two of us yeah and i you know? i think i think it's also this this kind of this feeling like you have to have like a huge quantity of things and variety to hit everyone rather than actually just thinking like, well, why don't we just make, you know, instead of making a hundred shows and 80 of them are shit, why don't we just make, you know, 40 or 50 shows where we've really put the time in and we've, you know, spent the time on the writer's room as we've made, looked at it as a studio and we've said, is this show really up to standard? Like are the characters well-written? Is it interesting? Is it original? Uh, that's kind of my perspective. Yes, but and, and I get I agree. But the other side of that is, if you get commissioned to make something, and you only have a certain budget, you, you are going to go do it because yeah, you course, want. Yeah. You never know. You know, you've got to write. You've got to work. The more work you do, it breeds more work. Yeah. Um, should we touch on AI? Mm. Yes, we can. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's massive, and I think what we should do loading is. I think Phil, this should be your I think task what AI is to ask. I, I think you should ask AI now, right. chat GBT, yeah. a question about what should we make the question about? Because I think this will be fun. So the thing about uh, AI is that it's what you put in and what you get out. So a lot of the mm. the coverage that's happened with box of people chocolates. with <laughs> what a, what a lot of what's happened with the coverage <laughs> of AI is that people have put in very basic questions, got very basic answers and said, look, it doesn't work. And to me, it mm. feels like the early days of like, say, film photography, where if I gave you a roll of film and you sort of held it up to the light, you'd be like, well, this doesn't work. And then you'd scratch it and whatever. And, and it takes time to learn how to work, how it works and how to get the most out of it. And so one yeah. of the, the obviously there's a simple out of the box thing we can do and say what what you know what should we ask um, about AI? But the the it would only take a little bit longer, which would get much much better answers. Would be to copy and paste our our three biogra- our four biographies, and then mm-hmm. the, something about the show, and then give a context. Uh, and it won't know about the writer strike because these uh, things like ChatGPT don't actually have well they're starting to have plugins, but they don't have links to do with the modern news and things like that. They have the training data has certain cutoffs and stuff. And then we could ask it something more useful because it will know our biographies. It will know what's interesting. And making connections is something that these types of large language models, LM, LLMs, are very, very good at because it can connect. Ah, that's contextually relevant to that. It's in the same sort of space. Those words, those ideas connect like this. So, yeah, if you just even if on ChatGPT, which even in that out of the box, copy and paste, biography, 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 here's the show. We're talking about AI and placing writers. Okay, now ask it mm-hmm. to ask us some questions and you'll probably get better answers. Great. So we're going to ask AI to ask us some questions. Phil, you up for this challenge? Yeah. Um, do I tinker tinker and then it's just happened or do we talk about something else while we do it? We'll talk about something else while okay. you're doing that. Um, well, I'm going to do exactly what Stephen says, which is a great thing to do. And give me two minutes. It's a very robotic answer. <laughs> do you want to talk about AI and why it's yeah. a, a, a worry in terms of the strike? You know, my, my point on, on AI is... 
when you look at the technology side of of things and where it is what we've had released you know chat gbt etc cetera, etc cetera, and you look at what the government and uh, you know some of the developers actually have behind them often the technology is is anything from six to nine months up to like five years ahead of what they're actively releasing so when you're looking at like what chat gbt and, and people are looking at ai as in what it is now it's actually not where ai is ai is probably a lot lot further ahead and then you've got to think about those in implications because they're going to come up very soon and the people that actually have the software and they have the capabilities could easily release that way sooner than than we think and suddenly you're making sort of assumptions based on ai that are actually like way behind what it could be doing in terms of script writing treatments um character development all those kind of things so i mean i think i think the idea of of looking at it pretty early and, and pretty soon um that the the writer strike and and some of the other sort of bodies uh, are sort of discussing is actually quite valid because it's not just about what we've seen as a public and what we've been allowed to play with you know our toys in the pram it's actually the, the stuff that <laughs> is actually available and how far ahead that is mm, i like that life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches but there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Have you ever wondered what it's like to bite into nerds' gummy clusters? They're fruity. They're tangy. They're gummy. And they're crunchy. Nerds Gummy Clusters, a union of fruity sweet gummy and tangy crunchy nerds. Unleash your senses. Shop now at nerdscandy.com. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. I also think that like anything, like Photoshop, like uh, screenwriting software, you've still got to know how to use it. And uh, the AIs that are around at the moment, you, it's not easy to use. I've had to go on mid-journey and you, they've all got 17 hands and faces peeling off and stuff. It's not easy to use. So it is a skill like Photoshop. I imagine that some people were annoyed. You know, you look at Jurassic Park, you go back to that and Phil Tippett and the work that the CGI team were doing opposite him. And Phil Tippett was going, well, that's the end of me. I'll never work again in this kind of industry. It's kind of similar here but yet Mm. people have to learn how to use this this isn't something where we're all going oh i can write a script on it in seconds that is just not true but i understand the future is a a huge issue massive issue Stephen, take it away please (laughs) you know so much about this well i've been working with uh, ai and screenwriting for over a year now and that actually is quite a long time we're coming up i'm going to Cannes tomorrow and last year at Cannes, i was going around telling everyone look there's all this happening we've got this deal this thing is happening and, and there was a lot of shrugging and and just sort of isn't that cute and everyone ignored you back then but now yeah now (laughs) well i mean i was that was 
wasn't my aim and that's not my point. But like, yeah, I mean, so a year is, <laughs> but but Don raised a really, really good point. So these negotiations between the studios and the and the Writers Guild happen every three years. The, and in the last single year, we've seen so such transformative change with AI that they absolutely can't ignore it and snooze it for the next three years. Like this has to be part of it. Um, so where we were last year, so about a year ago, we managed to get a deal with a Hollywood producer at WGA minimums, which is about 30 six thousand dollars something like that for a treatment and the same again for the the script with ai and it was we had a couple of producers vying for it and one got it and what we ended up delivering is is actually quite small in like the volume of stuff that the chat gpt could totally do that it wouldn't i don't think it would do quite as good a job as we did because we spent the summer building a complex like set of code base that used the ai but fundamentally the ais that are available now are much more powerful and easier out of the box but i have a, a friend called bob Bob Schultz, who runs the uh, with Chris Jones, he runs the London Screenwriters Festival. Green. Yeah, exactly, and he, he does a lot of training and stuff. He's already got two deals to write scripts with Chat GPT, and uh, wow. this has already happened. This was like a, maybe a couple of weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. So, what's happened in one year? It's gone from myself as a like someone who's advanced in the industry, and then a, and a physicist who's my collaborator uh, in Sweden, and being given a relatively large amount of money to do this sort of forward thinking thing to now. Now, mm-hmm. anyone could think they could do it. And I've had about, I don't know, this week, I've had about five emails from people, I don't know, just who found me, who've emailed me randomly, all effectively asking the same thing. Now, these are all people that are not in the film industry to varying degrees. And they're all asking, is there a piece of software I can buy that will write a screenplay for me? And they're saying, and, and a few of them said things like, oh, writers are asking for too much money, uh, which... I absolutely don't agree. So it's it's terrifying because I, I've started I've started to reply to these people. Initially, I was just like, okay, I'm going to pretend this isn't happening. Oh, because the answer is no, it doesn't exist. It will exist. Whether it be any good will be slightly down to, as you were suggesting, like how good the software is, how people use it. But the idea that these large language models will get better and we will all learn how better how to start using them is inevitable. And so, and that will definitely happen within the three-year lifespan of this deal, whoever it is. So the WGA are absolutely right to get on this. And most of what they've said makes a lot of sense. The, the, the one thing I object to the way that the WGA, I'll get it out of the way, that the WGA said is that they one person on their committee referred to them, uh, the AIs as plagiarism machines. And they're, and they're absolutely not because plagiarism involves copying things and AIs don't do that. They learn from things. However, everything else they're saying is quite reasonable. So the two big things that the WGA have asked for in these negotiations um, is, one, AIs can't write uh, or rewrite literary material. They can't be a, the source of content, um, which is just a position. That's fine. They can have that position. Uh, it can't be used as source material. But also that they can't use material, the studios can't use the material writers have written to train future AIs. And that seems like just a reasonable um, extension of copyright and fair use and all that, as in like what what rights you've given up with to somebody else. Um, so as a, this is, there's no stat for this, but, uh, so the, the, the writers guild have said, this is a question for you, Phil, get ready. Uh, so, uh, the, the, the writers guild have said, um, we should, uh, regulate the use of artificial intelligence, but it can be used. It just can't be used as source material and it can't be you, and you can't use our scripts to train future AIs. What were the counter proposals from the studio? What did the studio say in response to that? Uh, they said... Uh, Skynet. <laughs> they said, uh, we're not going to talk about it. Try again later. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, no, Phil's spot on. Yeah. He's spot on. Yeah. They rejected it, but they did offer 
uh, annual meetings to discuss advancements in technology. Yeah. Uh, annual meetings. Yeah, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, and also yeah. Just discuss it. Like, do they think the writers just discuss are idiots? It. They're like, yeah, you can come uh, along and we'll, we'll shoot the shit and we'll chat about it. But um, so, yeah, the Writers Guild are in a tough position because it will change so much over the time that we've got. And also you know they they don't know what what the studio is going to do it will affect writers it will affect writers rooms it will be used the way that we're using laptops and spell checks and things like that mm. um and there there is a certain amount of that's the way the whole world is going this is this is the problem though with the whole world situation i mean it it expands beyond just the the film world but obviously it's very relevant to the film world if you if you regulate say in america what the you know the ai is able to do and then you're in i don't know china or or somewhere else and they haven't regulated it that country's going to get massively ahead they're going to develop the technology um economically they're going to be advancing at a much quicker rate so you know by regulating in, in a certain country if it's not if it's not sort of internationally you could have a problem there yeah i mean you in in general with ai absolutely and and i've been talking to some dutch um AI experts who are really struggling because they're, they're not only are they struggling to get source material in Dutch, they also have got GDPR issues, which, for example, China, which has some of the biggest, most powerful models, do not have. But with this particular issue, that's not so much the case because it's the studios. And so if the, even if the stu- you have to actually make them, the actual cost of a script is a relatively small percentage of the overall budget. So even if scripts were now free, it wouldn't make making them easy or distributing them easy uh unless they were creating transformatively different works but really that's not the case the the real issue that people are going to face with uh, the studios and to some degree writers are going to face with ai written material is that let's say that i'm a big fan of mork and mindy and i just want more episodes of mork and mindy i will be able to just very soon be able to generate ones that are meaningful and worth watching and when you pair that with video generation which is much further behind but is making that same journey and we don't know the time frame but it is inevitable i will soon in the in the technology times let's say within the next five years ten years maybe i will be able to say to something i want a new episode of more Mindy, and then it will be created and i'll be able to watch it bypassing all copyright all controls like it's the ultimate piracy and there's almost nothing that can be done about that the things can be used to slow things down and whatever but fundamentally that is kind of where we're going and so it does feel a little bit like i'm a you know if you're a writer today or a studio today you're a black cab or yellow cab driver and uber's come out and google maps has come out and you're like ah what can i offer that others don't and it's it's getting smaller and smaller so i'm it's i don't know if the ai will completely replace writers it's no there's there's no reason that that we wouldn't hit some sort of natural limit of quality you know there's a there's an an analogy that people use that we've built very very tall ladders we've built ladders that can go all the way to the empire state building but can we build a ladder to the moon well no we can't because it's a different type of thing but we don't know yet because we're still trying but it seems reasonable to assume that in within our lifetimes ai will be able to generate the moon yeah well yeah or at least we'll build different things because yeah ai is uh, the, the part of the reason that we've had these big um advances in the last year or so is because the breakthroughs in how these models work ironically they actually made the models simpler and that made them more powerful um but it's also training data and general use and things like that so yeah. it's there's a massive massive change coming and anything that they're negotiating this year is a stopgap measure but what else can they do mm. Mm. 
Yeah, you've got to at least fight for something because it like I I totally agree with you. And I read that the other day, you know, that I could make myself a film with Jennifer Lawrence. I go, oh, I fancy Jennifer Lawrence and Jude Law in a rom-com tonight and type in what I wanted within that film to make me feel happy in the in the in the AI uh, whatever system I was using totally, yeah. and then the f- film would come up for me and I could watch it but J- Jennifer Lawrence doesn't get paid neither does Jude Law are they, are they, they're the two biggest victims in this not the yeah. cast and crew and, or the <laughs> writer the and, they're the victims <laughs> the whole strike the whole strike <laughs> yes but how's Jennifer <laughs> but, Lawrence doing G- Giles is romantic yes, even poor Jennifer stuff. Lawrence she can't afford a tux to go to the Emmys um, but let's bring it back to a, a question this this is kind of what you've answered anyway we've got a, question, a few questions on this because we put it out on our Twitter on our social AI is ready by the way just it was ready like 20 minutes ago but just, <laughs> that's how quick it, it was so it's rewritten this whole podcast it's actually re-recorded it for us we're just AI now and um, we'll come back to that Phil that's exciting Jewel Jessenberger um, she asked a question and we've kind of answered it but I wanted to talk about this do you think eventually there won't be a writer's room because you'll only need AI and a writer or two to work out a storyline and scripts for the whole show I think the most important thing to remember about AI is that it's not replacing jobs it's replacing tasks And so what a writer was in the past is different to what a writer is today. And so as the the role of a writer starts to change and the requirements of writers, if we adapt slowly with it, then the idea that someone will, humans will need to create stories from our own lived experience and project them and tell them for others is probably completely safe. But what that looks like today, I mean, if you take an office worker or maybe a photographer, you know, from the early days of photography Mm. to 50 years ago to today, changes. Like a photographer who doesn't use Photoshop is a rarity, even if they're not creating fantastical images. And so it will definitely shift massively, but we don't quite know where it will go. But if the models continue the way they are, it, it will become fairly trivial for it to write mediocre work. Whether it would ever write something stunning and amazing or at least on cue, I don't know. That's a little bit closer to the idea of what is creativity, what is subversion. And these models are basically just guessing the next most likely word. And from that comes complexity, but they're they're designed to shoot for the middle. And so in my experience in using them, getting them to write anything good or interesting needs a human to subvert them. But I don't know whether an AI could be, a subversion bot could be built to subvert the other AIs. But what what's the percentage of uh, uh, interesting and and lovely content on streamers? <laughs> Going really? I mean, yeah, Tom's how good a job are humans doing? Yeah, yeah exactly. No, the ultimate thing is like all I see is like a copy of Save the Cat behind yeah. like a drawbridge, <laughs> and this this whole thing is like, do we open it and upload it to a, to AI, and therefore movies are screwed forever, or not? Or do we save it from Save the Cat? <laughs> Phil, we did that a year ago. As in, that so was one done. of the first books. All your fault. The drawbridge with the cat. It's your fault. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no. One of the first things I did was so. So when I was working with this uh, this um, wow. uh, physicist and the cosmologist Eliel, uh, he was like, "Okay, well, we've got the deal. We're like, okay, how do we build this machine that only uses AI, doesn't use any create human creativity when it comes to like genre or story?" Uh, he said something almost out loud to himself, like, "Oh, if only there was a system for how movies are structured." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> okay." And I gave him a load of books to read, and he. <laughs> read Save the Cat. I think he read it while he was in Cannes. We, I took him to Cannes last year. 
And he and he went around going, oh, my God, every movie's been ruined for me. I see everything. I see The Matrix now, you know, like an early stage screenwriter. And it was amazing. And it is that that kind of stuff AI does incredibly well. Um, and one of the people that we spoke to, I won't mention their name just because I don't know if they want me to or not. But one of the people, because we ended up interviewing, we we didn't keep the money. We used the money to interview a load of people in film and, and um, AI. And we've created a podcast called Authored by AI. But one of the people we interviewed, mm. uh, I was a bit concerned in, when I was uh, preparing for the interview because he i said i'll keep his name off but he is a writer who writes movies of the week and he's written five or six of them and they're quite they're very procedural so uh they have to write them quite quickly and they have a they're very, the most formulaic of all the formulaic stuff and i was concerned because i was thinking well his is the job that's the first to go because he is by definition being high to write as a formula and uh when i sat down with him and interviewed him he was one of the most enthusiastic in favor of it because he was like great this can get loads of the crap out of the way for me so i can actually do the bits i like you know, so the bits that are formulaic aren't fun to write because everybody wants me to fill in this formula. Then I get to write the really interesting things like the dialogue or whatever. And so he was really enthusiastic. And one of the people who was least enthusiastic because of what she writes was Mev Lafauve, who wrote Inside Out and stuff like that. And she talked about mm. the fire, the volcano inside you that creates, you know, the essence of art and stuff like that. She, so actually, the people who you are, I would have thought are most likely to be replaced first are probably the most enthusiastic. And the people who understand logically what they do the least because they're so connected to the art and to the unknown and to that spark of like what we might call creative genius uh, are the people who are most fearful of it because they're well, not fearful, most... Um, doubtful that it will replace them because they understand the complexity of what they're doing is so nuanced mm. and human and whether that stuff will ever be replaced i don't know we've got printers but we still buy paintings but i don't know yeah you've got a good point i, I we got another comment as well uh, from kelly holmes and she asks and i like this because it's very topical when is ai going to fill in funding applications for the I, bfi I, I, I hate to tell you this but this <laughs> this this again has already happened last year uh, uh, yeah, last year wouldn't surprise me we, um i was talking to so uh, people last summer were starting scientists who have access to this were starting to use it to do grant applications and uh, mm. last week i was teaching uh, in trieste i was teaching ai ethics funnily enough to a load of uh, physicists and i was chatting with them and one of them has just been on a panel assessing funding applications and she said, I am so sick and tired of AI-generated applications. And I was like, oh, how can you tell? And she was like, oh, they're all the generic middle ground ones. Like, none of them are getting through. And so, again, it's lazy use of, of these things. Yes. But honestly, that's trivial. To copy and paste the, the BFI's mission and what they state mm -hmm. as their five or 10-year plan and put it in the AI and say, how can I express what I'm doing? This is my plan. How can I express it in a, in a way that speaks to their plans? Is so trivial as if you're not doing it, you're not keeping up. Uh, but it doesn't fundamentally <laughs> tell you what to do. It tells you how to express it in the same way that Google Maps doesn't tell you your destination. It tells you the route to your destination. But if you open up Google Maps and go, where should I go? Uh, what That doesn't make any sense. And so it's the same thing here. Uh. That's interesting. We, we, a couple more comments. And on the back of that, I put into a director's group, I'm in, you know, that we were doing this and any questions and uh, about that AI comment from Kelly. It's, people came back. It's, I just want to read a couple out. I won't say who they are because they might not want to, their names mentioned. Uh, someone's put, yeah, I was in a meeting today in a production capacity where they said they were going to get chat GPT to, GPT to write an outline for a script uh, and then give it to a director producer to finish off and refine. It's happening. Someone else wrote, I was sent a commercial brief last week from an agency that was obviously written by GPT. It's been used, but from what I've seen, not, su not successfully yet, just lazily. Yeah. But that's, but, the, and there's two things about that. It'll get better, but also people will stop 
stop being so lazy. And people have, uh, yeah, and, mm. and a lot of that is just down to the use. Like, as I said, if you ask it a generic question, you get a generic answer. If you give it interesting stuff and interesting perspective, and this is my theory about writers. I think writers are the best place to get the most out of these AIs because it, what you need to do is to give it a really informed, interesting prompt and work with it over time. And that's what writers do. That's what writers do in a writer's room. And so it is a very useful tool, but it needs humans at the moment to write interesting things to get it to work. At the moment. Yeah, I mean, mm. I, I've, I've been using, I mean, I've been using Midjourney basically every day for the past three weeks on something. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I'm using the, it's an image generation one. Just for yeah, it's an image generation know. thing yeah. for, you know, reference and kind of just to kind of uh, even sort of generated some poster art and things like this. Now, of course, you know, that's putting like concept artists kind of out of work uh, for this. But a lot of this was for me as a tool for communication, you know, as as opposed to. Mm going onto shot deck and finding a shot from blade running going well it's not quite blade runner but i like the oranges you know it's 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 it's, mm. it's a tool oh it's all a tool and technically you're not putting people out of work because you wouldn't have employed someone to do that no. necessarily at, at this stage you, you, might have been, you might have employed like a pitch deck designer or like a website designer and, and it's, Maybe, it's definitely I, going I, in that I direction i never would have personally because i do i do that myself but yes you know, and also overall. there are jobs there are jobs within mid-journey and people like that i mean one of the things i found it very useful for is i might change the tense i wrote this in first first person i want it in third person that's annoying to do and it can do it mm-hmm. as easily as as um you know spell check or changing the font size i i wouldn't use it to come up with ideas because it's not good enough like it's oh, you'd be able to take out the Britishisms of scripts or turn into the American, you know, those kind of things are really cool. Yes. You know? Yeah. Changing a character name, all those type of things. There, there are benefits to it. There really are. It's not like it's not the death of anything. It's actually, if you're using it in the right way, very positive, like anything new. Phil, let's come on to what you asked uh, chat GPT <laughs> that we should ask. Here we go. So I've got some specific questions for you all based on your biographies and about the strike in AI. Great. So um, for Giles Alderson, okay, given me. your experience in writing and directing indie features, how do you envision the role of AI in the screenwriting process and its potential impact? Uh, that doesn't even make sense. How do you envision the role of AI in the screenwriting this process is the problem. and its potential impact on storytelling? So it is right. I just didn't read it right. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, I, luckily for you, uh, Phil, is I've just done a whole podcast on it on oh, the filmmakers podcast called The Business of Film Three, uh, where you can get those answers. Awesome. And right then inside the question was, do you believe AI generated scripts can capture the emotional depth and nuance that human written scripts often possess? Often possess. That's a great question. I think the answer there is only if you know how to use it correctly. I think if you're just sticking, saying, write me a script about this, well, no. But I think if used in the right way, potentially, yes. But Mm. it's a long road. For Dom. As a director who has brought compelling narratives to life on screen. Yes, compelling narratives. Take that, Giles. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, good for you. But but on on that, how amazing that chat... GPT has just done that and actually ask reasonable yeah, yeah. questions. There was nothing wrong with my two Here questions, right? 
Don Juan is clearly alive. <laughs> 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 I'm very excited that, that ChatGPT. Compelling narratives. For Dom compelling, compelling narratives. narratives in Where did they get yeah. this from? It's well. true, though. It is true. I, I, it did actually write one, and I told it to rewrite and be more favorable to Dom. Uh, how... <laughs> Lies. <laughs> I didn't. How, how do you think the use of AI in screenwriting would affect the creative decision-making process? Would it introduce new possibilities or limitations in exploring unique storytelling techniques and themes? Interesting. Do you, do you want me to answer it or do I just give a Giles answer. answer and just say it's in the episode? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think it could be interesting for looking at so say say if you're if say if you're stuck for ideas and you want to sort of create something new i think it could be interesting for creating new things outside of your comfort zone like new characters new arcs new sort of ideas that might sort of stimulate you almost like a prompt back to you as a screenwriter like okay so my script is a bit dull it needs some more interesting characters what about if you tried this then that sparks a new thought or a new storyline so i think it could do a lot of that um I think creating scripts itself, to me, I know I see I see more of the benefit in treatments and, and that kind of thing, like sort of maybe giving you a bit of a structure so you can envisage where something might go A to B, and then sort of mm-hmm. put in all the personal details yourself. That's that's kind of that's kind of my thoughts at the moment. That's a good answer. Good answer. See, that, that, those are those compelling narratives. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to tell you actually. I I did something today. I used because we use AI quite a lot in the work I'm doing. But again, not not to create new stuff. But one thing I did, which I hadn't occurred to me to do until today, and then everyone who I gave it to was like, "Oh my god, that's so useful!" Was that we? I'm, I rewrote a pitch that we're doing for a client, and it was the second draft of the pitch based on loads of notes from internally within my colleagues. And so what mm. I did was when I finished the second draft, I copied and pasted it into ChatGPT with the first draft and said, "What are the differences between these two drafts?" and it gave and it didn't I didn't tell it the notes that I was working off of and it was able to say these are the six things that are fundamentally different about this two pitch and they reflected the notes all apart from one which I'd forgotten to do and I was able to go back to my team and say here's the second draft by the way this is what ChatGPT thinks is a difference between the drafts and everyone found that really useful as a starting point to assessing what was different because otherwise some things didn't change and I found that quite good as a way to test did I take on those notes by can I recreate them from the work that is super useful. You're right, because as writers, when we're looking to do a rewrite or someone gives us notes, we can miss things or we go, I don't know how to weave it in, but act- or oh, you forget it. And that is Again, a brilliant it's a way. Tool. I love it's that. It's not creating, mm-hmm. it's not replacing it, humans. It's, it's a, a tool. tool. You know, yes. same, same, it's just same like with you, spell check. Um, not yet. Spell check, agreed. agreed. It's go. the same. For Stephen Follows, by the way, we should go for lunch that time. How is the family? You're looking well today. <laughs> I mean, AI knows you, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen knows you really well. (laughs) It's a trap. It's a trap. He's got a full relationship going on with someone on AI. With your expertise in data analysis and industry insights, what are your thoughts on the potential economic and logistical implications of a writer's strike in relation to the use of AI-generated scripts? How might the introduction of AI impact the dynamics of the film industry in terms of cost, production timelines, and overall workflow? Interesting. Again, before you answer that, how interesting that ChatGPT 
asked a really interesting question. Uh, one of the things about these AI models is that I think of them as the really, really good dinner party guests. Because if you don't know about the topic, they sound like they're the genius. When you know about them, you're like, yeah, that sounds good. But actually, what's more interesting in, in what AI is going to do within this stuff is less within the production cost. As I said, the writer, the, the script is not a big factor of the cost. And there may be, it may be useful on set to be able to generate 10 other versions of that line because I don't want to say that or it doesn't land. But these are quite marginal, small things. The really big thing is that the studio's power is mostly based off of copyright, of intellectual property that they own. And yeah, and, and, those things are some of the early ones are expiring anyway, but but fundamentally that's where we're going to have to rethink our ideas of what value is. So Disney is fundamentally they do exciting rides where they'll keep making money because you can't copy that, but then they own stuff you can't do. But when I can do it without anyone's permission, it's a problem. So the economic benefits of AI are marginal within the production, as in it might make it more efficient, might make it cheaper, maybe 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 it'll make it better. I'm not sure, but within the concept overall, it's kind of like what piracy did uh, to the industry. It forced it to create streaming services because it was so easy to steal. And, it, and actually, the better the streaming services, the, the more piracy falls. And piracy has gone back up again now that Netflix is sort of um, uh, cracking down on passwords because fundamentally, people don't want to steal. They they're happy to go for the for the really good system that's easy to work. That's only eight quid a month or whatever. And it's the same thing here when the studios are treating people well and creating good content fine but if they're starting to create crap content as dumb's dumb saying and they're not creating the good quality i want we're just going to sidestep them and use it so i think it will help a little bit in the short term and it might but it'll make the job more interesting and and maybe better in some ways but it's the medium to long term where it's going to mess everything up look at black cab look at the not just how many black cabs there are how many people are taking the knowledge now how many new people are learning how to drive a black cab that's Mm -hmm. the thing that's on the horizon Although Dom is out of a job on the podcast. Sorry, Dom, because you're out of a job because I just asked it to come up with uh, puns about the writer's strike. So it's given me stuff like the writer's strike. Uh, the writer's strike made it clear that without them, the industry was missing its right hand. Yeah. The writer's strike was like a punctuation mark in the history of filmmaking. It, it left everyone wondering where's the right emphasis. Yeah, I've got loads of these. It's all the same joke. It's all the same joke. It's not like they're saying, it's not like they're picketing loads of different ones. Yeah. Take that AI. Okay, screwed. 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 Back. Bye. He's got Bye. his job back. Bye. He's got his job back. Well, look, look <laughs> on this, because this has been fascinating and really interesting. Maybe we just all sum up how we feel about it, because we've gone through the emotions, even talking about it today, of sort of going, oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm on the fence. And then actually, when we questioned by ChatGPT, we all kind of went, well, it's useful for this. It's useful for that. So what what's our sort of roundup of this and the strike and everything that's happening right now? Phil, we'll start with you. Well, I mean, I fully support, obviously, what the strike's doing. I think it's opened up a really interesting um, creative discussion about the role of AI. Um, I've always been a bit of a nerd, so I'm always interested really? in these kind of things. But <laughs> but as uh, but as tools to help my job work more efficiently and, and hopefully not to replace actual human beings. Um, so um, so I think it's right for you know them to kind of hold out and really want to. Um, uh, you know, hit this nail on the head in terms of an agreement to make sure that we're protected going forward uh, as as kind of creatives. And I think that's a really important thing I'd, I'd like to know going forward. 
Tom? Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the the, the big things is like, we, you know, people always go to the negative first and they think, well, AI is going to steal my job. It's going to do this and this. You know, it's like the sort of, you know, I joke about the cliche, but like everyone's sort of talking Terminator and Skynet and, you know, apocalypse. But actually, that might not be the way at all. It might improve humanity and AI might be a, a useful source for, for bettering people. And in the same way with film, actually, you know, maybe AI will learn to help us understand psychology and understand what makes us human in a weird roundabout way and maybe we will get to those complexities through ai and maybe it won't be the thing that that you know that sort of kills us all or or takes all of our jobs and it'll actually be something that creates meaning and allows us to be more human in it you know i think it's possible i think it's definitely possible mm-hmm. um and i think i think out of this strike you know if, if there's anything that can improve the quality of the writing and um embolden them to write good stories and for those to get to our screens i think that's that's the real benefit from this yeah and i think it'll benefit the studios you know if if they if their focus is on good storytelling as well and and i think it could be at the end of the day that 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 improves their numbers because really that is what people you know talk about is it's the temple shows it's the successions or the game of thrones or you know those kinds of you know the stranger things etc etc it's those really popular original interesting shows that make the streamers famous mm-hmm. and that's all down to the writing yep. it's not all down to the writing but it's a big yep. part we have to embrace it it is coming pretty much it is here i feel we need to really learn how to use it we have to learn how to use it to our advantage uh i personally don't think it will lose people i don't think people lose their jobs you just have to learn like with anything is to get better and make it useful to you. Uh, and I really hope this strike ends by everyone, by the writers getting what they deserve. Um, I really do. Uh, Stephen? I don't know whether I have an optimistic or nihilistic view of this, but I would say that I think we're going to look back at the, the conversations that we're having now and the world we're in now. Let's say in 10 years from now, we're going to look back at today and it's going to seem unbelievably quaint. Like there's going to be things that we are completely different that we're like, wow, I can't believe we had that. Yeah. You know, it's uh, and and there'll be other things that we'd like. I can't believe we were scared about that. Um, I mean, this the writer strike is fundamentally about the next three years because that's how long the deal is. And they can strike again when when the weather's hot again. Mm-hmm. Um, and they so it, that's a very short term thing. Uh, and they are just fighting for a middle class income. The AI conversation is at the moment interesting and trivial and useful in small places. But we're not existentially scared about what it is today it's what it will become and so i think that in 10 years when we look back to now there'll be so much that we're not taking on board not worrying about and i i think or we'll all be dead <laughs> well yeah i mean it makes me less worried about climate change because either the ai is going to solve it or kill us well that's it's it not, it, it could climate change is not going to yeah. kill us yeah. something else will get there first um i don't know i think that we're about to enter a world of so much change more change than we've seen in the previous part of our lives and more than a computer or the internet uh, it's the speed of change is going to be so astronomical in this in the immediate term a writer is not going to be replaced by an ai but it might be but a writer might be replaced by a writer with an ai so you it'll be someone else doing the job quicker faster better or more flexible but it'll still be a writer so my strong suggestion to everyone but writers especially is embrace these tools start to look at them start to work out how they can help you offload the things you don't want to do or not very good at and how how you can use them to protect and amplify the things that you are good at that you do love and that's that's probably enough mm-hmm. for a three-year time horizon beyond that mm. uh, i'm not sure 
uh, we'll we'll see where humanity ends up. But uh, I think what's nice for me as a fan of sci-fi is I think I'm going to be able to watch the end of humanity. I thought I'd have to just guess what it would be like, but I'm going to get a front row seat. This is exciting. <laughs> yes. It's exciting. Uh, and on that note, thank you so much for listening uh, to The Business of Film Explained, our third part. Uh, and as you know, from the first two episodes, we did much more quizzes and um, dive more into facts and figures. Obviously, this, we wanted to talk about the strike, what's happening now, uh, why writers are striking and AI. And I hope you've learned something. Uh, and I hope you take something away from this. Remember, go out there and make your films. Uh, you can do it. Learn now with these new techniques. Uh, embrace what is coming and get better and learn fast and be the first one waving the flag moving forward. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well and end humanity as you need to, then you have to. Send the elevator It is back your duty down. to send the elevator back down in burning flames. Yes, there we Although, go, burning flames. Um, <laughs> uh, ChatGPT has actually written a new sign-off for you, Charles. Do you want oh, to... You yeah, know, please go Is it better? Uh, are you ready? It's, it's fairly long. Okay. Before the doors of the cinematic elevator close, we'd like to uh, extend our deepest appreciation for joining us on the Filmmakers Podcast. Just like an elevator ride, our conversations have taken you on a journey exploring the highs and lows, the twists and turns of the film industry. As we reach the final floor of this episode, remember that your filmmaking journey doesn't end here. Embrace every opportunity as if stepping into a new elevator, ready to ascend to greater heights. Keep pushing those buttons of creativity, collaboration, and innovation. So as the doors close, wow. let the lessons of inspiration gained from the Filmmakers Podcast propel you forward. Get ready for the next ride, equipped with newfound knowledge and a passion to bring your vision to life. Thank you for being part of the elevator, our elevator journey. Until our paths cross again, may your filmmaking adventures continue to rise floor after floor as you reach for the stars. Keep elevating, filmmakers. That was a very elevated pitch. Wow. That was amazing. I think you did it better, Giles. No, I, I, think, <laughs> I don't think you did. My... I think Giles is out of a job. <laughs> Do you know what I think, though, of that? Just half of that was brilliant, and then it just went on too long. AI yeah, needs, to, needs to come well, down a peg or two, literally yeah. a, a floor or two. And you can just write, write it 50% shorter, and it gives it you instantly. Yeah. And like, like a broken elevator, um, it's wrong on every level. Yeah. Until next Tuesday, <laughs> when we're back for more fun and adventures talking filmmaking. I think we have Rob Marshall and John DeLuca, the brilliant uh, producers and director team of films like Chicago, Pirates of the Caribbean and the upcoming The Little Mermaid. If you want to see myself and Giles with uh, mermaid pe- paraphernalia, <laughs> there's plenty of that coming. That there is great. plenty of that coming, by the way. So, so it only leaves me to say thank you very much to Phil Hawkins. Thank you. Bye. And thank you very much to <laughs> Dom Lenoir. Thank you. And thank you, as always, to the amazing Stephen Follows. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been really fun. This, this has been really fun. And again, the business of film, we're going to do this every month. We've been saying that and we've kind of missed a couple of weeks, but we will now. Uh, this has been very successful. Everyone's loved these. Uh, so keep your comments coming in. Until next week, till that amazing time, we will see you then because you're going to make films and you're going to tell us all about it. ChatGPT did it better. But anyway. <laughs> you're waffling, waffling like AI. <laughs> I can't end it. End it. End it. Right. Take care, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.